following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Before I begin today's gospel reading, I just want to say how grateful I am that we use the New Revised Standard Version uh, for our readings, because I grew up with the King James Version, and this particular passage was boring. (laughs) But when I read it with this one, it actually helps me understand, and it's much better for enlightenment, at least for me. Today's reading is uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. It's in page 801 in this Bible, if you care to read along. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon, and at about three o'clock he did the same, and about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, oh, these last ones only worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Thank you, Penny. Well, I have heard that today's parable is not people's favorite parable. (laughs) FYI. Um, I get asked sometimes during the week what I'm preaching on, and I said, I mentioned to some people this week that I'm preaching on the parable of the workers in the vineyard who all get paid the same wage for working different amounts of the day. And for those that knew the story, they said, oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's not my favorite parable. And I said, okay. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Um, I'll be the first to admit I live a very privileged life, and I have very privileged friends, and privilege doesn't love this parable. So it's going to be one of those mornings, I think, around here, (laughs) FYI. Uh, But I would be willing to bet there are a lot of people for whom this is their favorite parable. Or if not their favorite, it's probably like in their top five of parables. Why do we have such vastly different readings of this? Why do we decide that we like or don't like the parable? Well, how we read the story, like how we read any stories, has everything to do with the way we experience the world. And that's not a problem. It's only a problem for us when we live only in our segment of the world, only interact with people who think like us and see the world the way we do and read the Bible like we do. That's not really the main point of today's message, but it's sort of a side point, and so I'm going to bring it up. Um, 
And today we'll find out that there is more than one truthful experience in this parable. It's not just saying one thing. You've already heard the parable read, uh, but I'll recap what's happened. So we'll hear it three times. We've got our, our story here. We've heard the story, and then I'm going to give you some like background historical notes that might help bring out what's happening in the story. So this story begins with a landowner, as we heard, who needs to hire some workers for his vineyard, which is a very common practice in that day and is still actually a very common practice today. Those who don't have land of their own will, um, like in that day, they would show up probably at the city gate or in a marketplace, and they would wait for people who have land that need farm to come and hire them for the day. They are day laborers. I doubt anyone in this room is a day laborer, but we actually still, in our own backyard, there are plenty of people who are day laborers. And it's not a great life. It's a really hard life, and there's no safety net in this day. You work and you eat. You don't work and you don't eat. There is no guaranteed income. If you're sick that day, if you aren't picked that day, you don't earn that day. But let's say that you are having a good day in the marketplace. You meet a landowner who has a vineyard and needs some workers, and you are selected at 6 a.m., the beginning of the day, and you will work in this vineyard for probably 12 hours this day. And at the end of the day, you will receive a denarius, it says in some translations. I like ours because it says a daily wage. That's what it is. It's a daily wage. So you, you quite literally are going to receive, at the end of the day, your daily bread. This is exactly what it is. And um, in that time, there were actually laws that said you had to pay your workers every day. There wasn't like withholding their paychecks till the end of the week, because they weren't actually going to make it if you withheld their paychecks till the end of the week. That's the kind of world that we're living in. So uh, this... Daily wage was generally considered enough to feed yourself and your family, but not really much more than that. So you're really hoping every day you're going back and you're, you're making day, your daily wage. It is subsistence pay. And honestly, that is what they're hoping for. We don't live in this world, and so we don't understand, but to get your daily bread is what you hoped for. And as one who's been chosen at 6 a.m., right, we're in the story at 6 a.m., and we've been chosen, you would know a lot of people who weren't going to get their daily wage that day. But you do, and you're going to make it for another day. Now, a few hours later, and we're not told why, this same landowner goes back to this same marketplace, and he finds more workers there. And he says, why don't you come along and you also work in my vineyard and I'll pay you at the end of the day what's right. So most people have hired their workers at this point and you're still there and you're going to take anything you can get, right? You are in a bit of a jam. So you go and you start to work in the vineyard. The second round of workers is chosen and goes to work. And this is where we get to the odd part of the story. Like it's a little odd that we have this happen. But this happens all day long, it says. The landowner keeps going back to the market, keeps finding people that need work, 
keeps hiring them to go work in the vineyard. That would not happen. It, this is your business. You know your business. You know how much labor you need for that day. You know to hire in the morning. It's much more likely that this landowner actually didn't need these people. He goes to the market, he sees people, hires them to come, and he says, I'll pay you what's right. And then at the end of the story, we see they all get paid a day's wage. Now, I'd be willing to bet there wasn't a worker there that day that wasn't surprised when they found out what the landowner was doing. If you've worked one hour of a full day and you are getting paid a daily wage, you are going to be shocked. But we only hear the response of the people that came at 6 a.m., at the beginning of the day. They're the focus of the story. So back to my friends this week who, this isn't their favorite parable. Why wouldn't we like this parable? Well, we are reading ourselves in as if we've been hired at 6 a.m. We're the 6 a.m. workers. We were promised our daily bread, and at the end of the day, we collect it. But then we find out that other people also got the same thing. And they are people that we have deemed less deserving in the story. So they charge the landowner with being unfair. But that's the thing, there's nothing unfair in the story. That's what the landowner says. He says, friend, I am not being unfair to you. They got what they were promised and what they needed. And yet, the story is a bit unsettling to us, even to our kids who were shocked this morning to find out that everybody's getting three yellow coins. So that's perspective one, the 6 a.m. soul. There's another way of reading the story. I am a day laborer with a family to feed. I'm out in the city gate in the morning, but maybe I'm a little short and I'm at the back, or I'm older, or in this day, I'm a woman and I have no husband. And for some reason, I am unseen, unwanted, and left behind. And now the day is going on and I'm still there. And I'm in panic mode, right? Because I also need to eat today. Now, the only difference between us is that it's unlikely that I will be able to feed my family at the end of the day because I was not hired. And whether I'm in the 9 a.m. crowd or the 5 p.m. crowd, I get my paycheck at the end of the day, and I am amazed at the generosity of the landowner. I have literally been saved from starvation for the day. And this is now my favorite parable. It's all about the perspective we're reading from, right? Who we are in the story as we read it and how we view others in the story. So honestly, when you heard it read this morning, where did you place yourself in the story? I would be willing to bet that most of us, and I've, I've preached this several times um, in my life as a pastor, and I have found that we tend to read ourselves into the story at 6 a.m. We are the deserving workers. 
And actually, more than that, we feel that there are other people who are not deserving. Maybe you're not. Maybe you read it this morning, you heard it this morning, you thought, thank God, I am going to make it. And you know, I think that actually is, that is how we should read the story. But I have found that that's not, especially in the U.S., which is where we all are, so that's how we're going to talk about it this morning, that that's not how we generally read it. And in the story at the end, it says the last will be first and the first will be last. But actually, I want to say, I think the parable is saying, be careful in how you think about first and last, because there aren't actually first and last in the story. That's the point of the parable. It isn't really about fair or unfair. It isn't really about living wage, though scripture does care about a living wage and we should care about a living wage. The parable isn't primarily saying those things. It is about, I'm going to say, a radical dismantling of the supremacy narratives in which we live. And now we're going to get into the news a little bit. Right? Because we've been hearing about it in the news. This story is playing out in headline after headline in particular ways. But to be honest, sometimes it's the stories that aren't in the headlines that make it the most scary to me. (laughs) Right? It's not always about what shows up in the headlines, but how it shows up every day. We have in this country, and not just in this country, but we're here and going to talk about here, we have a supremacy narrative that makes us view the world as one big hierarchy. And we are looking to be at the top of it. And sometimes, honestly, we know we're not at the top, but we're going to try really hard not to be at the bottom, which is equally problematic. It is deeply rooted in our society. It is not new, though it does seem to be growing in confidence. So we saw it last week, right? We saw white supremacy that led to the murder of our Latino and Latina neighbors. And we're going to talk about neighbors next week, so stay tuned for that one. But I just have to say again, because it doesn't go without saying that white supremacy is anti-Christian. There is no way that they can go together. We follow a brown savior. The, The racial supremacy that is growing in intensity is a parasite on the church, and we have to deal with it. But this isn't the only way we experience the supremacy narrative. And so I'm framing it this way on purpose, right? Not because we don't need to talk about racism. We actually really do need to talk about racism. But I see it like this, and others may disagree, that racism is a fruit. It is not the root problem. Racism grows from a tree that is rooted in abusive power and fear and envy and anger and self-righteousness. No one is just a racist. They are self-justifying, envious, angry, fearful, power-hungry people. 
And we can't actually address racism or classism or misogyny or ableism or homophobia or transphobia or any of these other things until we deal with the way that we demean, classify, and subjugate people. We have to look at the way the supremacy narrative tempts us, how it gets rooted in us, how it gets fed in us, and then how it can be uprooted. So that's what we're going to talk about in the parable today. (laughs) We are going to talk about what's happening in the 6 a.m. soul in which the supremacy narrative is alive and well. And if we pay attention to the parable, we might find a way out. We're going to use this parable as a mirror for us to look in it and say, what is happening in our own lives? And how do we uproot this? So this parable cannot solve the complex problems of the world. It is a, we live in a troubled world. And so every week we talk about that. Let me just say that we will not solve our problems today. This parable does not do that. But we can learn to see our own lives in new ways. And so that's our goal this morning. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about this. And uh, she said, you know, it's always easier for me to see power and privilege in other people than for me to see it in myself. Which I just appreciate that she can say that out loud. Because it's true of all of us. Only some of us don't say it out loud all the time. Admitting that is where we begin. We say, how do, I, how do I learn to look in my own life? So, uh, when we can say, yes, it's likely that things live in me. Somewhere. <laughs> how do I go about finding it? So what's happening at 6 a.m. that we can pay attention to? Well, there's three things in this parable that I see that I think we can use as sort of a diagnostic in our own lives. How do we start looking in our own lives? The first one, the 6 a.m. soul life sees life as a competition, always looking at others and comparing with others to see how they're doing in the world. Competition maybe actually is too nice a word for this, so I think that's how it shows up for us. The better word, though, is envy, and it's actually in our text. Are you envious? Supremacy is fed by envy. Envy isn't about what I have. It's actually about what you have. The 6 a.m. crew did not have a problem with their day until there was someone else who had something. Their problem wasn't with their own situation. Their problem was with what was being given to others. But the thing about looking at other people's lives as the way to gauge how well we're doing is that we actually often know very little about the world in which they're living. People who may seem to have plenty of money And maybe that's what we're gauging our lives on, is how much do we have. They might actually be living very poor lives in other ways. And I know many people who are the most generous people I've ever met, and they live paycheck to paycheck. We don't always see what's happening in other people's lives. This actually happened just um, in the passage right before this in the gospel. We meet a man 
he comes up to Jesus and, and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And at the end of the day, Jesus says, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says, the man went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad. <laughs> like he, he lived a life of sadness, though he had great wealth. Socrates called envy the ulcer of the soul, which I just really like. I feel like that's very descriptive. Envy is a gaping wound eating our lives. And as long as we're looking at others to see where we stand, to gauge our place in the world, we allow the supremacy narrative to live unchallenged in our lives. Envy and competition is alive and well in the 6 a.m. soul. So what else do we see in the parable? Well, second. Our 6 a.m. friends wrote their own definition of justice. And maybe we even agreed with them to a certain extent. But it was, the, it was only from how they could see the world. They saw justice in their way. You notice they didn't see how everyone needed daily bread and how everyone got daily bread. Justice was only seen in their own terms. It was unfair to them. They had their own lens for justice. Now, this is a tricky one because we are justice-oriented people. We want to see justice in the world. It's one of our core values. We're talking about core values. This is what we say. We say we are captivated by the heart of God for hurting people and a suffering creation, seeking to bring compassion to those needs and a just end to their underlying causes. I actually think um, the beginning of that statement is what helps us in this regard. We are captivated by the heart of God for hurting people, not by our own sense of rightness and fairness, We are captivated by the heart of God. But let's not kid ourselves. There are whole books written about the ways that helping hurts. There's a book called that, When Helping Hurts. How we go out into the world to do great and important things, and actually we do way more harm than good, right? Because we're viewing justice through our own lens. And in a sense, it's, it's uh, one of those sort of deeply um, embedded forms of supremacy that we actually think we know best, and that's why we do it. But we're, trying, but we're helping, right? We're helping. The 6 a.m. soul struggles to see outside its own perspective. It has blinders and always seems to know what's right. To dismantle the supremacy narrative means Allowing ourselves to learn from others, to be wrong, to let others take the lead and define the path of justice, especially people who this is their life. Otherwise, we end up on a crusade, right? And it's our crusade. We are called to live a crucified life, following a crucified Lord. And often, it seems, we actually crucify others, (laughs) while we say we're trying to be helpful. You wonder if the 6 a.m. workers had sat down with the 5 p.m. workers 
and heard the story from their perspective, if we would have this parable in the Bible, would they have learned to tell a different story? Would they have actually lived out Ruby's <laughs> suggestion, right? My Ruby. Yes. What did you say about the parable? What? You get what you get, right? You don't throw a fit. And you don't throw a fit. That's right. <laughs> so number two, we learn to listen to God and to one another in the pursuit of justice. That's how we dismantle the supremacy narrative in our own lives. And then finally, number three, our 6 a.m. friends did not recognize the grace of God that existed in their own lives. Looking only at others and viewing justice only in their terms, they missed the grace of God that was given to them. How often are you aware of all that God has given you? Or does your mind only tend to think of the things that you don't have that feel missing in your life? Whether it's a friend who comes along at the right moment to offer encouragement or uh, the check that comes in the mail just in time to pay the bills or um, in my own life, the parents of a friend of mine who took me in when I was jobless and needed a place to live and I lived in my friend's parents' basement, right? That was not how I wanted my story to go. That was not the life that I was hoping for, but that was definitely God's generosity to me. It doesn't mean that we always have the story that we wanted to have, but it does mean that we're not, we recognize that we're not alone and that God is generous to us, that we have the eyes to see what God is providing and not what God is seeming to withhold. When we can see our lives as a gift, and what we have as a gift. We begin to realize we didn't earn anything, and we didn't get here on our own. When we realize that, that we can start to drop all the ladders that we spend our time climbing, all the competitions we have put ourselves in, and remember that God is supremely generous, and that that can reshape the supremacy narrative. God is supremely generous. In many ways, this parable is not enough, right? There's more evil in our world and seeking justice and community than this parable can get at today. And so we've been talking this whole series about how do we become an alternative community? How do we live out the kingdom in kingdom ways? How do we become a generous, just community. And we're going to keep talking about that. We've got two more weeks ahead of us, and we're actually going to touch on some things like community and justice in those last two weeks. So this is not the last word for us on this, but it is an important first word that we look at our own lives and the way we are living this out and that we start to take these things apart in our own lives and that we learn to look at them in new ways. So we have been sort of uh, every week sending out via social media something 
to reflect on during the week or some diagnostic questions for us to have in mind as we go through the week. And this week, too, I have some diagnostic questions for us. So as you go through your week this week, consider, where do you find yourself in a competition this week? And how did you get into that competition? Did you put yourself there? Who are you competing with and why do you think you're competing with them? What are you looking for? Second, who are you listening to this week? Do they offer you another perspective that's different than your own? Can you listen to them without arguing with them? How can you listen to people who don't see the world the same way you do? And what can you learn from them this week? And then third, how are you experiencing God's generosity this week? Pay attention. Where might you find God's goodness in your life? Are you paying more attention to that than what you feel like might be missing in your life? So lean into that this week and see what God does. So that's the story. There is more for us as we continue to live out the ways of the kingdom and become our own parable, right? That's, that's what we're talking about this whole series. How do we as a church become a parable? How do we become a community that lives this a different way? And it starts in us by taking these narratives apart and learning to live in God's non-hierarchical kingdom. So let me pray for us as we close this morning. God, we as your people live in a world that is deeply broken. But we desire to be a part of your solution and your healing of the world. So we ask that you would do the work in our lives first, that you would uproot anger and envy and self-righteousness and the thirst for power and prestige. That you would make us an alternative community of self-sacrificing love so that your name and renown may be known in all the world. We ask this in the name of your son who died for us. Amen. Well, we do. We come to the table this morning as we do every morning. Not because we are worthy to be here, but because God has invited us to be here. If you are in the room this morning, God is inviting you to come and to share at this table where we all meet, all on the same plane, right? On the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he gathered his friends in a room and he said, "Uh, take this bread and eat it, and every time you do this, Do it in remembrance of me. It is my body that has been broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to all of them. And he said, take and drink this, all of you. It is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we do that again this morning. We come in remembrance of Christ who died for us. If you're new to Artisan, FYI, how we do it here, um, you come and you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, come down one of these center aisles, 
Uh, there are wine and juice and gluten-free options and self-contained options. So there is room for everyone at this table. And we invite you to come and to share a common cup and common bread together this morning. We also have someone who would be happy to pray for you in the back if you are in need of prayer this morning. So as you are ready, I'd invite you to come and to experience the grace of God here at this table. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.